there, but nice job. All right, so I'm going to talk today about something uh, that we will all find near and dear to our day-to-day, everyday day of life. It's very relevant for every single one of us, and that is the topic of time. Uh, I have been thinking a lot about time lately and started kind of just, you know, as I do oftentimes in these areas with God where uh, I'll start to, it's almost like a dog with a bone. Like I'll, I'll get something and I'll be like, there's something here for me. I don't know exactly what it is and I just like won't let it go and I'll kind of stew on it for, for a number of months and uh, over time I feel like I'll get more and more revelation about that thing. And I started uh, getting revelation about this or starting to be really interested in this um, for a couple of reasons. One, my wife and I just moved and our whole family moved to Alameda. And uh, Alameda is kind of a funny little town. I don't know how many of you have been to Alameda recently, but it's like kind of a beach town that's stuck in the middle of the East Bay. It's like what happens when you combine a beach town with the East Bay, you get Alameda at the other end. And one of the things that you'll notice when you get to Alameda is everybody drives crazy slow. It's really bizarre. And then when you live there for a little bit, you realize it's out of fear because the cops are everywhere in Alameda and they just pull people over for going obscenely slow. Uh, and, and, uh, but, but it's pretty wonderful. Like people let you into traffic. You know, people like actually go the speed limit, all of these things that felt very unnerving and strange when you live in the East Bay, right? Like, why are you waving your hand? Just go. You know, they're like, no, after you. You're like, this is so weird. I don't know what's going on, you know? And, uh, and part of the reason why we ended up uh, moving to Alameda is because we wanted a slower pace of life. And so, so that's one thing. Interestingly, kind of juxtaposing that, at the same time, my work life flared up a ton. And uh, I remember I did a, a time management seminar once in this church because I'm big on time management. I'm a huge fan of it. And I put up my calendar uh, as one of the slides and people were horrified because it looked like every 15 minutes, I mean, literally it was like 30 minute blocks the entire day, uh, including my prayer time, including breathe. I kid you not, there's a breathe buffer for me at work because otherwise it'll just be all meetings all day long. Um, and then like to the minute, the day I have to, or the time I have to walk out the door. And I was living this kind of pace of life at work in my, in my, uh, my, you know, normal kind of nine to five work job, whatever you call it. And I started to not be able to sleep that well. And, uh, Suki will attest, I'm a very good sleeper. Um, I sleep, uh, I sleep pretty much eight hours a night in my standard, my standard deal, and I'll usually go to bed at like 10 and wake up at 6. Like, that's just kind of my normal rhythm. And, uh, and so I always fall asleep in like two minutes or less, which is probably being generous. Yeah, it's probably like 30 seconds or less. I'm just like out. And then uh, I would get jostled awake either by my thoughts or by Suki watching a drama or something like that. <laughs> But then the wheels would, it was like, it was like in my sleep, the wheels were going so that once I popped awake, then it just kind of like there was momentum behind it. I, I see some nodding heads. It's like, and, and I'd stay up. And even sometimes I'd wake up like this and I'd be staring at the ceiling and I'd be like, Lord, I'm not anxious. Like sometimes I'd be anxious about something, but sometimes I'd just wake up and I'd be like, I don't feel anxious about anything. Like, am I up to pray? Am I up to like, is there something to do? Is there something going on here? 
And I felt like there was nothing really going on. And it made me kind of step back and start to think about what does rest look like in my life? What does time, my use of time look like in my life? Is the way I'm interacting with technology healthy? Are my sleep patterns healthy? And I kind of did this like kind of broader reassessment of this key part of life. And uh, I have some of those learnings for you today, but it's been a journey that I think we can all relate in this, in this area and in this day and age, that there's kind of an assault on rest in a lot of ways, and certainly mental rest. Uh, a stillness of soul is something that's very hard to attain. And so it got me thinking about our master, uh, our rabbi, the one that we follow, and like how does Jesus interact with time? It's kind of an interesting question, right? Like think through all the stories that you know of Jesus and like what are some of the consistencies that come up with the way that Jesus interacts with time? Um, I picked one story and we'll, we'll show a couple things, and then we'll talk a little bit about some other themes that, that exist in Jesus' life. But I'm going to preach out of Mark 5 here, and this is the story of Jairus' daughter, if you're familiar with it. I'll read us through it. Um, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put put out your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So the first thing that I want to call out as we go through this passage is, first thing, interruption. Like, Jesus wasn't expecting to bump into Jairus. Right? Like he's getting out of a boat, he's walking with his crew. I don't know what they were up to that day, but they were probably going to do something. Uh, and then Jairus comes up, and Jesus feels very available to this, this interruption in his life. So that's kind of observation number one. Observation number two is who is Jairus? Uh, it says he's one of the synagogue leaders. So clearly this is someone of like good reputation in the community, uh, feels comfortable walking straight up to Jesus and asking him for this request. Uh, and, and Jesus says, you know, wow, yeah, your daughter's dying, dying, let's go. All right, so a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting her better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. How awesome is Jesus? She's like, it's worth stopping and just so amazing. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. <clears throat> he turned around in the crowd And asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you ask, who touched me? So basically, the crowd is all around him. He feels power go out of him, and he stops. Remember where he's going. Reputable person on his way to Jairus' house. This was interruption number one. He gets interruption number two in the same story. And he stops and goes, wait a second. Some glory power just flowed from me. I got to find out where that came from, you know, what's going on. 
and starts looking around and they're like, it's really crowded. Like a lot of people are touching you. What are you talking about? All right. So Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So this woman is so ashamed because she's ostracized from this community because of her sickness. She doesn't go up to touch Jesus like Jairus did. She doesn't go up and show, you know, like, hey, I'm a synagogue leader. I'm here. I'm worthy of being here and asking you of this thing. She doesn't, she feels so unworthy and she is technically unclean with her bleeding for 12 years that she's ostracized from the community. She just touches his garment and then she hides in the crowd and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Like God's doing something here. And he outs her. Like he forces the issue. He will not allow her to stay hidden in this story. And so finally, she comes to Jesus and he says to her, in front of this massive crowd, of course, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Man, he restores her in front of everybody, calling her daughter in front of the entire crowd, stops from leaving to this guy's house, this guy who, you know, again, is all reputable and everything, and stops and has this, this moment with this woman who's ostracized. While Jesus was still speaking to her, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So what we notice in terms of their conception of time is they have enough faith to believe that Jesus, in the time-boundness of death, or I'm sorry, of life, he can help. But now time has expired. Like the window of opportunity in their thinking, that time window is now closed, and they say, hey, she's dead, Uh, don't bother the teacher anymore, what's the point? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anybody follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they come to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, I love that part. They laugh at him and he's like, just get out of here. It's like, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said something in Greek or Aramaic, uh, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. They gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Don't you just love Jesus? Like, he gets out of a boat. He doesn't seem like, nowhere in the Gospels do you get the sense that he has a care in the world about some appointment that he has to get to. Right? Like, is there ever a time where someone interrupts you and he's like, I'm sorry, like, I really, you know, I got a thing. And, I, you know, that never, ever happens. It just feels like he's got this flow to life where where he is, he is. You know what I mean? Like, wherever he is, he's fully there. And he feels like I'm right in the center of what God would have me doing at every moment of life. And there's this freedom that he lives in 
where he walks around, and then whenever what, what would interrupt my flow doesn't seem to interrupt his flow. Like he's got this, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious or what was going on in him, but he's got this space, this margin in his life that interruptions don't feel like an assault to the work that he has to do that day. It feels like the work itself. For my birthday in August, Suki uh, bought me uh, one of those electric scooters. So I am that dork flying along at like 20 miles an hour on the electric scooter with the little like bike helmet, like, you know. Actually, it doesn't make any noise. Never mind. Um, and the other day, uh, I was zooming along on Mission Street, uh, you know, trying to avoid potholes. And um, I, was, I was cruising along, and there was a homeless guy who was sitting on the sidewalk, and he threw some of his breakfast at me on the scooter and missed, thankfully. Uh, but, you know, I kind of I blast along at 16 miles an hour, and, and I kind of look back, and the guy's kind of smiling at me as I blast along. And the first thought I have is, it's a cry for attention. Like, he wants somebody to enter his world, and he doesn't know how to have somebody enter his world. Um, when I was on staff with InterVarsity, uh, there was this really cool opportunity I had to uh, invite a guy who's living on the street into my home, and he lived with me for two months. And every night we'd stay up for a few hours and talk about, like, what is it like, uh, his background, what is it like to live on the street. And one of the things he said is, the most unnerving part about the whole thing is that you feel like you're living in the world, but you have a, a bubble around you where you can't enter into it. Like, you're, you're in it to some degree, but you're blocked off of it in all the ways that matter, relationally and respect and... All, all the rest of it. And that's immediately what I felt from this guy, was like, the guy wasn't with a, with a bad heart trying to, you know, hit me with a breakfast sandwich or whatever. He was saying, you know, like, hey, I'm here. And after I had this kind of like moment of, you know, realizing what was going on there, I continued on at 16 miles an hour and I went to work. And I thought about it for the rest of the day. And I feel like there's a lot of these moments in my life, right, where there's like an opportunity that presents itself in the form of an interruption. And it's always an invitation as to whether I take it or whether I kind of stick to my 30-minute block schedule. The whole reason why I'm on a scooter in the morning is because I need to cut out the 10 minutes that it would take to walk a mile rather than just to blast up there on a scooter, right? I mean, like... That's sometimes where I'm living. And I can't help but think of that passage where, you know, Jesus says, uh, hey, um, you know, I asked you for a glass of water. Uh, hey, I asked you for some food. And can't help but thinking that usually the moments where Jesus is asking for a glass of water or some food happen in interruptions in our life. These kinds of moments on Mission Street where you have the opportunity to slow down and to accept the invitation of the Lord or to keep blasting on by. 
And when I read this kind of passage and when I read and meditate on the life of Jesus, I'm just continually challenged that his sense of time and his sense of way doing life is just so different that it's almost hard to translate to our world sometimes. You know, you think about your life and you're like, okay, what, what would this look like for me? Like, I don't even know what this would look like. But with him, there seems to be this feeling of abundance of time. While we are under the belief system that there's a constant scarcity of time. And I think fundamentally, that's one of the major differences. Jesus thinks, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. In all of its complexities and all of its interruptions and all of the stuff that will come my way that I don't know about, this is the day that the Lord has planned for me and I get to engage it with the Lord and be ultra aware and present of everything that's going on as it goes down in a way that it's a constant dialogue and interaction with the Holy Spirit as to what we do and what we don't do. And the first thing that I'd like to propose is that hurry is probably, I've got to be careful with this, hurry as a lifestyle, I would propose to you, is probably the one, of, one of the most chronic sins in the church that isn't talked about. Because hurry at its very basis, at its very core, is I don't have enough time. I need to go faster. It's completely counter to this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad in it. It's completely counter to the foundational principle that God has given us a certain amount of time in every day and that he has something for us to engage in in that day. And there's just enough. Every day has just enough time. Not too much, not too little. He's perfectly portioned it out for us to say, here you go, enter in. Here's a day that I have for you. Let's rejoice together, be glad in it, and walk together. And hurry is this it's like this subtle thing that creeps in. I was gonna say counterfeit, but that's not exactly right. It's just like it's this subtle thing that creeps in that it feels productive. It feels uh, almost in a way holy. Like, man, I really want to maximize the life that I have. And so, you know, like, yeah, I want to hurry through stuff and I can get more done. And in our, in our day of age with technology, technology is supposed to be the thing that enables us to have more time. Like the promise of technology is that it, it expands your hours in the day. What used to take a long time to like open up a map in your car and be like, okay, like where, where the heck am I going? And like sometimes you have to stop at a gas station to ask directions is like now a Siri direction away, right? It's like, just navigate me here and you're, and you're there. It's like, hey, you know, I remember when you used to get lost going to somebody's house and they'd, they'd be like, okay, you go up to this street, you take a left, 
by the way, you're calling from like a, a phone that's like planted in the ground and is really disgusting, right? You're like, okay. And they go, don't miss the stop sign. It's the third left. And if you miss the directions, you're, you're done. Like, you, you, like you're driving around lost everywhere. Like that doesn't exist anymore. You just call them on your cell phone and you're done, right? Like uh, food delivered to your door, like instant movie. You don't have to go to the DVD store anymore or like the VHS store. Like we could keep going on and on and on about this, but like the whole promise of technology is that it frees up portions of our life. Why? So that we can do the stuff that matters, right? Like the stuff that really matters. Hey, you can be more efficient at your work because now you can write emails. <laughs> now you can write emails instead of having to have all those conversations, right? And we all know like what happens with our email inbox. Uh, mine is currently somewhere probably around 10,000 unread at this moment. It's like ridiculous. And so when, when we're interacting with technology, the thing that's supposed to free us up to be just productive enough to then be able to focus on our kids now turns into the father like checking work email while he's pushing his son or daughter on the swing, right? Or like Last night, we went out for uh, some food, and we sit down, and very common, I look over, and there's a kid sitting there at the dinner table with the parents watching a movie, you know, on, on the dinner table. And it's like, these are the very moments that technology is supposed to give us extra time to engage, and it ends up robbing us of the, of the thing that it's supposed to give us. And none more than other, probably more than any other, is rest itself. Rest itself. Technology is supposed to be the thing of like, man, I got so much done today. I did what it, what it used to take me 10 hours to do. I did it in three hours. Now I can rest all day. Like, that is not at all what happens. What happens is we're in such a blaze of hurry facilitated by technology. Can I just tell you? texts, three different email inboxes. Now I've got Slack at work, which I'm kind of like, do I really need another thing pinging my phone? And then there's like news notifications going off. And then wait, LinkedIn Messenger now has a thing that kind of notifies your phone. Facebook's got one of them. It's like, how many ways in my life do I need to be contacted on this thing and to have things bing, 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 bing. I feel like a pinball, right? Most of the time, I'm just like, I can't even keep up on, on it, honestly. Like, I get done with my day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I have 50 unread Slack messages. I have 10 texts that I haven't answered. Like, how am I supposed to interact with this thing? And then you go from that to laying down on your pillow, and it's like, all right, good night. You know, it's, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> that is not going to work. There's, uh, there's something recently that's being defined uh, or, or called hurry sickness. <laughs> hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. <laughs> An overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Urgency was supposed to be in a separate category where I live life over here and then every once in a while, 
there's something that requires me to hurry and be urgent, and I step into that moment, and I do it, and then I step out of that moment, and I do back life. Now, it's like code red 24-7, right? So how do you know if you have hurry sickness? I think most of y'all are already like, guilty as charged, man. Like, you don't need to go any farther. But here are some fun ones just to lighten it up a little bit. Who, who in this room pulls up to a stoplight and assesses the number of cars that are in each lane, and you count them, and then you move from the longer one into the shorter one? Really? This is only me? This is like 10% of people in here. I thought everybody did this. Yeah, Nancy says it's strategic. Mine, y'all, I'll confess here, mine is so bad that I'll look at the type of car. And who's driving it? Yes, you're with me. That's strategic. But like, you know, I'll be like, okay, that one looks fast. That, one, that one's pretty long, so that doesn't count as two. That's like two and a half. Okay, I'm going over here. I am sincerely surprised that everybody in the room didn't just raise your hand. What's that? Denial. <laughs> exactly, denial. Uh, who in here used to enjoy reading novels, but now can't do it because it feels too slow and like they don't have enough time? Totally guilty as charged. Like, if I'm going to, yeah, I just heard a 3X <laughs> up front, the 3X speed that you listen to it on as if the book, I mean, right? Totally. Yeah, plug into the matrix and just go for it. How about this? Um, who rides on public transportation to get to work? All right. Keep the hands up. Who drives? Okay. Who, oh, you're, so many people already put their hands down. Okay, you can put them down. Who does not listen to something or read emails or respond to texts, but kind of just enjoys looking around and pondering life? About 10 people or so. For the rest of us, we're like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this used to be idle, like idle time, right? There was one station on the radio that maybe came in, and if it wasn't good, you'd turn it off and you'd just drive, and <laughs> you wouldn't listen to anything. Hurry, all of this uh, for us, has become not a thing we step into, but a way of life. And it's a way of life that lies to us, that we live in, that declares there's not enough time for the things that we need to get done every day. And the reason why I think this is especially vile or that we should take time in church to talk about it is because most of the things that we see Jesus doing require a stillness of soul and is a presentness to the world around us that I think we need to take a look at. You know, like, interruptions, for example, we just talked about in the passage that Jesus was 
so available to these interruptions. And for me, you know, like I'm sitting at my desk, I've got a half an hour, a rare half an hour to text some emails, and I'm like, I'm reading through my emails, I'm trying to respond as fast as I can. And then somebody comes up and needs something. And almost every time there's this discipline thing, only because I've done this for years, is to stop, turn my body, face the person, what's going on? Got it. Yep. Fully engaged and fully back. Right? Like the temptation, of course, is, yeah, what do you need? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go. You know, like that's the temptation. If you think about interruptions, what interruptions really are is engagement from the world. That's what an interruption is. It's like you have your thing and you're right here. And if you don't want interruptions or if interruptions are are something that you resist with everything in you, it's because you're living delusionally thinking that you're not interconnected to the world around you. And so interruptions become huge frustrations, not an invitation to engage with the world that's going on around you. And when we look at Jesus, we go, wow, there's a guy who understood how to interact with the world, and he understood that his day wasn't this thing that's planned perfectly, and I'm going to keep my plan no matter what goes on, that there's a higher plan above our time management that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. There's things that he has for me to engage today that it's really important that I'm aware of what's going on and what's going on with his voice. And the reason why I'm so passionate right now about this toxicity around hurry as a lifestyle is because how able are we to live in this kind of manner when we're living at this pace? When you think about the times when you're in the biggest hurry, like, do not enter, there's probably not a huge availableness in your heart or in your mind to the things of God nor the fruits of the Spirit flowing through you to engage in the world that he has around you that day. And so if we think about it, like living a lifestyle of hurry is counter to this whole way of life that Jesus models for us. The other way of life that Jesus models for us is one where he's praying, sometimes all night. And here's here's another passage about one of those times where Jesus is praying all night, and we have an interesting interaction with time here that uh, is Jesus' version. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across for Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So what happened here is that Jesus sent them off to cross the lake, And he went up to a a mountaintop, which was his practice, and he basically prayed for most of the night, and then he comes back down. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, then they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. 
Think about the experience from the disciples' standpoint, right? They're rowing for hours. Jesus is praying on a mountaintop. They're fighting the wind and the waves, going for it, like three hours of toiling at the, at the oars. And then Jesus comes stro- strolling along. I don't know if he's speed walking or if they're not going very fast, right? But he, like, he catches up to them pretty quickly. And it's like, hey, guys. He basically had a three-hour quiet time where they toiled at the rows, at the oars. And then he gets in their boat, and they're immediately at their destination. (laughs) See, I think some of us, myself included, my concept of time, uh, I'm sorry, my concept of time is not like my concept of money. See, I feel like I've interacted with the concept of money enough to know that I feel like if the Lord tells me to give something, that he's got plenty behind it to just like load it up with more. In fact, in the Bible, it talks all about like, show, like, just test me in the area of money. Just test me. Like, give to me and see what won't come back. I'll pack it in. Like, the cup that you use to measure this, yeah, use that. I'll pack it in. I'll jam it in. It will be overflowing and it'll come right back to you. I feel like I, I operate in a level of generosity that's spurred out of that kind of uh, mindset for God and money. But the, the question or the challenge that I have here is, it feels like Jesus operates like that with the area of time. It doesn't feel to me like a resource that I go like, oh yeah, time can just come out of nowhere. Like I know the Lord can just like give me a check in the mail tomorrow for whatever, you know, whatever. But what does that look like for the area of time? And in, in this case, it's kind of amazing because like, you know, the way it's written, it looks like there's a lot of extra room to go. Like they're three miles across, but they feel like they're in the middle of the lake. Jesus gets in and then they're at the destination. And it's like, whoa, what just happened there? Like they just saved a bunch of time. Or there's another story where this guy, Philip, he's one of the early disciples of Jesus. He's walking down the road and he feels the spirit of God say, hey, I want you to go and talk to this Ethiopian eunuch that's in this carriage. Go, go explain the Bible to him. So he goes up next to the, the carriage And the guy's reading the book of Isaiah out loud, and he goes, hey, do you need somebody to explain that to you? And the guy goes, actually, yes, I do. And he gets in the carriage, and he goes along the journey with the guy. The guy gets, uh, sees the light, comes to know Jesus. He baptizes him in the river, and right after he baptizes him, he vanishes, and he's right back in the town where he left. It's like, that's awesome, right? He just saved him like like an hours-long journey of walking, and I could imagine me as Philip, like I'm sitting in the carriage going and being like, I hope this guy gets it soon because we're, we're like, going, we're going away and I'm going to have to walk all the way back. This is not in the direction with which I'm going, right? And then Jesus just, boom, or, you know, like he just finds himself back where he needs to be. And I would propose to you that we should start thinking about this asset of time in a similar way that we feel like we think about the asset of money. And namely, here's, here's the, the challenge of faith. Specifically, I've noticed with my money that the more generous I am, the more of it I have. So what, what does that look like for us in the area of time? Like, are we 
ready to step into a relationship with time that's an extension of our relationship with God where we see it as an eternal commodity. Are we able to start to have enough faith where we're not clutching hold of time like it's the one thing that's slipping through our hands like sand falling through, but start to walk around with an openness to the Spirit of God using our time in the way that He sees best fit and then giving back to us in the form of time or joy or energy or whatever it might look like. So a few practical things as we engage this, other than just kind of the challenge for us to change the way we think about time. One is the Lord has made us beings that require sleep. He has chosen to do this in his infinite wisdom so that we won't think that we're too important. I'm convinced that this is why the Lord, uh, there's other reasons, but one of the main reasons is it's a great statement of humility to know that we need seven to eight hours of sleep every night. And I add the seven in there for y'all because if it was just me without being considerate of you, it would be eight. I, I think when you look at medicine, when you look at what it looks like to live healthy, it's always the magical few. It's diet and exercise. It's a low-stress lifestyle. And sleep. And these are very biblical principles. And so I would say don't shortchange the sleep part of this. And specifically, I'd say, if you want to start living in a way where you're engaging this new relationship with time, I would start with sleep. And I would start to challenge yourself as a statement of your faith in God that every day has enough time in itself that he's given you enough time in your day to get seven, eight hours of sleep. We good? Okay. The second one is a Sabbath. So... Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? There's a, there's a few good ones in there. Like, don't be idolatrous, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's wife. There's one about honoring your father and your mother. And then there's one in there that's like, honor the Sabbath. And you're like, oh, interesting. Are there any other Old Testament, I'm sorry, are there any other Ten Commandments that we go, oh yeah, but that's just cool for the Old Testament, we don't need to bring that one over, other than the Sabbath? I don't think so. It's kind of like that, that one of ten where you're like, yeah, but that's expired, now it's a way of life, it's just like this way of, and, and I'll tell you, I, it, take, it took me a long time for me to say I'm going to set aside a day to, to engage rest and thankfulness and celebration. Um, and I'll just, I'll just tell you, uh, from my experience, it's been extremely healthy for me in a way that I don't know that I'll live for the rest of my life without having a day that I engage 
in rest and celebration and thankfulness. Um, you know, it says that the Lord worked for six days and he rested one and uses that as a model to invite us into this kind of lifestyle. There's a lot of components to Sabbath that I'm not going to speak on, but what I consistently feel when I enter into the Sabbath day is a release from the responsibility of having to do anything. A release from the responsibility from having to do anything. And an invitation into it's just enough. Like, what I have is enough. You know, like, who God is is enough. What's going on in my life is enough. And it's like this invitation into rest where you trust all the stuff that's still fully in process to God and you go, I refuse to engage in that stuff today because you've invited me into a day where it's right for me to refuse all that stuff, not because I'm shirking my responsibility, but because I'm agreeing with the thing that you say, which is you ultimately have it, and I have the space as a mere mortal being who's fragile and weak to engage this day of celebration and of rest, and I'm just going to stop. And I think that, you know, when you frame Sabbath that way, uh, it's actually kind of an interesting question as to why was I so resistant over the years to doing this? Like, this just sounds wonderful. Like, you hang out with the people that you want to hang out with, and you engage in your relationships in the way that you want to engage in them, and you have thankfulness about the things you have rather than striving for more. There's like an active resistance against this whole thing of like, I don't have enough, and you're like, no, 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 today I do. And the Sabbath serves as a weekly reset for us that is extremely healthy, that we can enter back into our week with a totally different kind of orientation of saying like, no, I retrusted God with an entire day of my week, and now I'm entering back into the work that he has invited me into, but it's from a place of faith where he's inviting you into your work, not that you're doing him and asking him to bless it on the backside. It's a completely different orientation to work that gets reset in this day that we call Sabbath. I think that the Sabbath is similar to the, the concept of tithing for money. And the concept of tithing for money is, Lord, I'm going to honor you with this portion of this asset that's really important and that, that screams that it's so important, but I'm going to honor you with it and I'm going to put you first in it and here's my statement. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of other stuff where you're giving constantly on top of your tithe and being generous and all that stuff. But there's a baseline, and I think that's what Sabbath, that's what Sabbath is. The last one that I've hit on a few times is that I would invite you into a way of living where interruptions, uh, interruptions are expected and embraced and seen as an invitation into God's work not as an assault to the work that you have to do that day. I travel a lot for work, and one of the things that I've been practicing is when I get delayed, which happens a lot, 
is to not have the freak out moment of, oh man, I just lost three hours. Dang it, what the heck, you know, like United, you always do this to me. Every time, why do I fly you? I wish Virgin was around because I hate this. You know. It's the points, they get you, right? And the points do nothing for you, you know that, right? Yeah, the points do nothing for you. But it's like one silly example of what's the equivalent of that in your world. Like what, what is that interruption that kind of gets you out of the fruits of the Spirit pretty fast? What's the interruption that makes you lose your patience and your peace and your kindness and makes you go, oh, dang it, I knew it was going to happen again. There's a goal that usually we have that's recognized in our schedule for the day. And I think in the topic of interruptions, it's great to remember that there's an ultimate goal that's higher than your goal for the day, and that is for you to walk with Jesus moment by moment in the presence of God. And so don't allow the less important to kill the more important. How you feeling? <laughs> Good? All right. Suki, come on up. So as uh, Ryan was sharing, it's kind of funny, right? There's not that many. Well, this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, now he's talking about me. I'm totally <laughs> that like rush, rush, rush person. Oh, my gosh. I can't even think straight because I got to go and finish the next thing. But um, so, okay, Lord. I, I received this message, but I remember one of the things the I actually engaged uh, the Lord about time um, a little while back, and I was just asking him, um, Lord, what do you have to say about this? And he, I don't know, for, I hope you guys have all, it's really old now, have watched the, the movie The Matrix, right? And there's a scene, and the Lord brought it to mind, where um, Keanu is, Neo, ne Neo right? He's getting bullets like shot at him, and all of a sudden, because he finally gets how the matrix works, mm. he's able to just bend, and all of a sudden, the fastness and the pace of the bullets mm. coming towards him yeah. slows down so much, he doesn't even move, he just is able to like <laughs> make them stop, and they all just fall down. And I felt like the Lord was saying that a lot of times we think we're living subject to the laws that govern this universe, like Neo thought he lived in the laws that governed the so matrix. Good. However, just like he actually is not governed by those laws, we as believers are not governed by these natural laws like time. And so he was just saying like, actually, if you have stepped into knowing me, you've actually virtually taken the truth serum pill, yeah. whatever color that was again, and now you actually have access yeah. to living with respect to time in a very different way. And there was something about that that really set me free because I think for me, I needed a visual picture of what it looked like to see God yeah. multiply time and what it looked like. And just the idea of like, dude, I would totally be panicking if I saw these bullets coming at me. But for some reason, because I don't exist in that system, they yeah. don't have to come at me that so way. Good. And the, the key to overcoming it is actually understanding the mastery of the fact that we do not live That's in right. that set of rules. That's right. So really I just wanted good. to share that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, why don't, why don't we have people stand 
and you can pray for folks, and then we'll, uh, we'll mosey on. Yeah. Yeah. If this is something you want on the Lord to speak and move in your heart, just, you know, put your hand on your chest. Holy God, we want to be your servant, not the servant of time. Yes. God. You are our master. Yes. And God. you can make anything happen. Just like that little girl. Jesus, you are not too late. Yes, God. There was not a moment where you were too late, God. You knew exactly what was going to happen when. I pray that you would free us of the linearity of time, the confines of this mortal world, that you would expand our concept of you and the ways you work to reflect the kingdom of heaven. I pray, Father God, that you would remove us from, this, from the idea of, a, of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your word says that you give freely and abundantly to those of us who ask and come to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us what it's like to live like a little boy with fish and loaves, mm-hmm. giving you what yes. we have, placing you first, and then allowing you yeah to produce the abundance that we need to do the things that you've tasked us with. Because if you've tasked us with it, you've got enough for us to finish it. Yes, God. So, Father, we break that mentality that the world says that we don't have enough. And we really do, Lord God, we ask you now to start to put new truths in our mind that our God, our master, is greater and bigger than the confines of this world. Yes, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. With that, we will uh, wrap for, for the Sunday. I would just remind us, just as a church, um, one of the things we've been feeling like the Lord is saying is to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So if there is something in here that resonated with you, I would encourage you to write it down, but take some form of faith action item step to engage and step into this, because more knowledge uh, does not mean more sanctification or living with God. We got to do something about it to step into it. So have a blessed Sunday. If you want some prayer, you can come on up and get it up front.